Good morning, everyone. It's lovely to see you here on this wonderful Christmas morning. So please join with me as we read about the birth of our Saviour and Lord. So we're reading from Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 1 through to verse 4. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. Now on to Luke chapter 1, verse 26 to 38. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favour with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who is said to be, to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. I saw that the Oxford English Dictionary has announced their 2016 word of the year. Did you see that in the media? Apparently, they monitor uh, various publications throughout the year and they, they're testing for the, the frequency with which certain words are used and when they've assessed that, they then do some thinking about it and make their decision and their announcement and this year, the title for the word of 2016 goes to the word post-truth. How about that? Uh, they reckon that uh, post-truth was coined about 24 years ago, but uh, this year, with uh, certain world events, it has uh, experienced a very sharp spike in its usage. And it's often used with the phrase post-truth world because that apparently is the world in which you and I now live. It doesn't mean that uh, there is no longer any truth. It kind of means that we're sort of over truth. Uh, it means that people these days just don't seem to value truthful information in the way that they used to. Uh, partly it's because there is on the internet, there is so much untruth that's spread and people seem to believe it without bothering to check the facts. But also, because sometimes even a fact check doesn't actually change people's 
uh, attitudes towards certain objective truths. Uh, because people have become disillusioned. Uh, they've become disillusioned with politics, they've become disillusioned with institutions, we've become disillusioned with just the way that things are in our world. So, for example, let me illustrate it. If a politician is running for election and actually tells the truth, if they lay out before the electorate um, honest, uh, good, solid, truthful reasons why people should vote for him, or if a, a leading world expert uh, gives her opinion on the area of her expertise, it doesn't actually affect the way that people think. It doesn't affect their attitudes. It doesn't affect the decisions that they make. A politician can tell the truth, but people say, I'm going to vote for someone else in any case. Scepticism, cynicism, disenchantment mean that we now live in what they've called a post-truth world. Or so they reckon. Uh, the very fact that this is spoken of with dismay uh, tends to make me think that in actual fact we do desire truth, that uh, we have a yearning for truth that we do desire that information that's presented to us ought to be truthful. We desire truth in our relationships with one another. And for many of us, we kind of have this sneaking suspicion that there may actually even be something which we might describe as ultimate truth, a, a truth which helps us to, to understand our world, a truth which helps us to understand even our very lives and existence. I remember growing up as a teenager, as a non-Christian, and when it was, it was times such as Easter or Christmas that got me start, starting to think that maybe there is some deeper truth, some deeper reality. Now, of course, a lot of the stuff that we do at Christmas time is just cultural and it's just a lot of fun. We all know that, and I think we can pick the bits that are just cultural and fun. But today, you and I are here in church because at the very heart of Christmas is the greatest and most important truth known to mankind, and that is the truth about Jesus. Now, you don't actually need to live in a post-truth world to, to be a little bit sceptical about what the Bible says about Jesus. Uh, let me show you why I say that. If you have a look at um, the passages that are printed for you, that second passage in, on your sheets in Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 38, we're actually told some very astonishing uh, things about the events that surrounded the very first Christmas. We are introduced to a young lady. Her name is Mary, and she's engaged to a man who's name is Joseph, when she is visited by an angel, a, a messenger from God, who makes some pretty big promises to her. Um, let's have a look at those promises. In verse 29, I'm just going to read from verse 29 to verse 33. Mary, we're told, was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be, as you would be if an angel appeared to you. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favour with God. 
you will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Now, how about that, folks? An angel, a child who will be the Son of God, a child who will be the king over God's everlasting kingdom. And even more than that, the angel goes on to tell Mary that the baby which is going to grow inside of her womb uh, will be conceived supernaturally by the Holy Spirit. That is, that she's going to be a virgin and a mother at the same time. And so you can understand people, some people looking at that and a bit sceptical and saying, well, that kind of sounds like the stuff of fantasy. It sounds like a bit of a myth, a bit of a fable. Except that is not how Luke wants us to understand what he's written. Uh, Luke does not begin his gospel with the words, once upon a time in a faraway land. Instead, he begins the words of his Gospels with that first passage that's printed for you on your sheets. Luke was a a medical doctor who had never personally met Jesus, but he had heard about Jesus from other people, and his life had been changed by what he had learnt about Jesus. Uh, In this first passage there, in verses 1 to 4 of Luke chapter 1, he tells us, first of all, how he wrote his Gospel... And secondly, why he wrote his gospel. He tells us firstly that this gospel is actually the result of research. He says that what he's done is that he has carefully investigated the life of Jesus from the beginning. And that the way that he's investigated the life of Jesus is by going and actually interviewing the eyewitnesses, interviewing people who were there when these things happened which would, of course, have included Mary herself. And the reason why he wrote up his research was so that his readers could be confident that they could know with absolute certainty that the things which they have heard about Jesus are not actually fantasy, they're not actually myth, that they are actually true. That is the claim. But the Bible does not only claim to tell us the truth about Jesus, friends, it also tells us the truth about human beings. It tells us the truth about you and me. Uh, There's an organisation which is called the Plain English Foundation, and like the editors of the Oxford Dictionary, they've also been busy monitoring words this year, and they have produced their list of the the worst words and worst phrases for 2016. Would you like to know uh, what word got the title for the worst word of 2016? Brangel exit. I said it's just such a cheap word because it combines something as superficial as a celebrity breakup with a profound political social event that happened in the world today. But they also highlighted the spin-doctoring phrases of 2016. Would you like to hear a few of them? How about this? 
battery cell issues. That means your Samsung could explode. Um, deactivated is a term which one company used when they told their employees that they were sacked. Uh, <clears throat> uh, not to mention words like locker room talk. But, uh, and get this, the new word for casino in 2016 is integrated resort. How's that for spin doctoring, eh? It's no wonder that people are so cynical about institutions and just fed up with the way that things are. But this is actually just a very, very tiny and current and somewhat half-entertaining symptom of that which is a much deeper truth. Some truths are hard to swallow, aren't they? Uh, from the spin doctoring that we see every day to the selfishness that we see even in our own lives and the conflicts that we hear about that are happening all around the world and even in our own little world. The Bible presents us with what I would say is a very unpalatable truth and that is that we have all had a falling out with our Creator. Now, we may know that God exists. We may uh, um, we look at the world around us and we see that this is clear evidence of a designer, of a, a great engineer who's put the world and the universe together. We may even suspect that as his creatures that he, he might even have a claim over our lives. Um, we know these things, but yet we can easily go through life preferring to ignore these truths. We'd, we'd rather live our lives our way without God. We know that. That when it comes to God, we kind of like to live in our own post-truth world, uh, not caring about the truth of God. Now, the Bible has a very old-fashioned word for um, describing ignoring God, and I'm not going to spin doctor this at all. It's the word sin. It means an attitude whereby we, we just don't give God the due uh, love, affection and obedience as we ought. We put ourselves at the centre of our world and we all do that in various ways. And it's why we, we end up feeling disenchanted uh, with, uh, with our world, with our relationships, with our own lives. But in what is perhaps the most uncomfortable of all truths, the Bible says that because of this sin, that we all deserve the judgment of God. Now, I've got a tip for you. These kind of topics <clears throat> are likely to kill your conversation over Christmas lunch today as you're wearing your hats and pulling your bonbons and tucking into the turkey or whatever it is that you're eating. But yet these are the truths that lay at the very heart of what we celebrate today. In our post-truth world, there is a reason that people are not moved by, the, by facts and truthful promises. And it's because people have lost trust and have become disaffected. Because what we crave for is not just truth in words, but we crave for truth which is lived out in actions. 
And the most powerful of those actions is love. Now, Luke, uh, throughout his gospel, has recorded for us some extraordinary and amazing things about Jesus, from uh, his incredible miracles uh, to his penetrating teaching and the many examples of his love. His love for the poor, his love for the sick, his love for the outcasts, his love for... You know, when Jesus spoke to people, he was very fond of introducing what he was going to say with these words. He would say, truly, truly, I say to you, truly. Uh, One day, 33 years after his birth in Bethlehem, he spoke those words to a man who was, a man who'd been nailed to a cross a convicted criminal, a thief who had been rightly convicted, who, as he hung on a cross, bleeding and dying, he humbled himself and he, and he spoke to Jesus. He acknowledged Jesus for who he is. He acknowledged Jesus to be the king which the angel had promised Mary. And very simply, he asked Jesus, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Truly, truly came the reply. Today, you will be with me in paradise. Now, how can that be? I mean, what about God's judgment? Uh, This particular thief, um, as a convicted thief, um, sure, his human punishment did not fit the crime that he'd committed. It was absolute, uh, they overshot on the punishment side of things. But he was a sinful person. He was a person who'd lived his life ignoring God like you and I often do. He was, in many senses, a person just like us. And so how could therefore Jesus speak these words as truth and do so in love? Well, it was because Jesus was actually hanging on a cross right next to him. That's why. Friends, there is a truth which makes sense of this world and makes sense of our lives. And that is that on the cross, that the judgment of God, which you and I all deserve because of our sin, was actually paid for by Jesus. That Jesus was punished in our place so that our debt to God is paid for in full, so that anyone can be forgiven by God, enjoy a relationship with him both now and forever. I was reading uh, one, I'd call him a post-truth devotee, uh, who summed up the post-truth world by saying this. Uh, He said, and I quote, I think people in this country have just had enough of all of these experts, unquote. Do you reckon he would say that to his cardiologist? (laughs) I don't think so. We like to have experts. Luke was an expert, not just as a doctor, but as an expert historian. Luke was an expert who 2,000 years ago 
has recorded for us the results of his research, the results of his investigation. He has recorded for us the truth about Jesus. Which means, in actual fact, we really do live in a post-truth world. Not that the truth doesn't matter. The truth matters immensely. But in the sense that the truth has already been made known. There is an event which has already taken place. And that is the truth of a baby born in a manger who as he grew up paid the penalty for our sin. For the sin of any person. Uh, for the sin of a first century thief on a cross. Yes, truly. For 21st century middle class Australians in Port Macquarie. Yes, truly. But only if we truly trust in Jesus and start living our lives no longer for ourselves, but for him. And you know what, friends? If you haven't done that as yet, I'm not sure that I can think of a better time to do it than on the day that we celebrate his coming into the world, on Christmas Day. Why don't we just spend some time now just saying thank you to God for what he's done for us in Jesus. Father, we want to thank you that there is truth in our world. And we thank you for the great truth that's been revealed to us uh, in Jesus Christ. We thank you that he is the way, the truth and the life. And that by dying on the cross, that he has made possible for each one of us to have a relationship with yourself forever. Father, we pray that we would embrace that truth. And make that truth the very heart of our lives. And we ask these things in Jesus' most precious name. Amen.